you're here this morning. You know, last week we had a great day, Vision Sunday, where we had a lot of different people share about where we've been, where we're headed, and some of that is even doing the same stuff we're already doing because God is blessing and it is working. And I hope if you were here last week, what you remembered on top of all that was kind of my sharing my heart of my vision and the vision I have for us as a corporate body of believers. And it was a very simple vision. It was this, is that this year, not just this calendar year, but a year from now, that we would spend more time than ever falling desperately in love with Jesus, right? And here's my conviction on that. Sometimes we get into the business of doing and we forget about loving Jesus, right? Sometimes we think about if I serve, then that's a way to show my love, and it is, but sometimes we mistake duty and obligation for really passionately being loved with Christ. In fact, the opposite should be true. Our love for Christ should compel us to do some things, serving, giving, you know, all those kinds of things. And so my passion and my vision for us this year is really to fall desperately in love with Christ. And one of the ways we express our love to Christ, we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks, and that is worship. Now, when you talk about worship and you say the word, the term worship, for many people, it is like an abstract thought. It's kind of like, you know, I hear you. I know what you're saying. I think I know what you mean, but at the end of the day, I have no really clue what you're saying because it's hard to get handles on the idea of worship. It's abstract. And so for us today and even next week, I want us to move from the abstract to the concrete to really get an understanding of what is worship and what does it mean to be in the presence of God? What does it mean to do all these things? What is worship? So we're going to start with defining worship. Let me give you a definition. It's probably not your listening guide, so please write this down. Worship just means, first of all, on one hand, to ascribe worth to something. Right? You're saying something is valuable, and you're ascribing worth to that. That's worship. Worship is also adoration towards something. You're adoring something. That is worship. Worship is also declaring your devotion to something. That is worship. So when we talk to come together and say, we need to worship the Lord, here's what we're saying, that we want to come to a place where we ascribe worth to God, we adore God, and we pledge our allegiance and our devotion to God. That is worship. Does that make sense? If it does, say amen. amen. That's what worship is. Now, we do that in a lot of different ways. You can worship with your lips, Psalms 34.1. You can look it up later. talks about using our lips to worship the Lord, to adore, to declare our devotion to God, and to ascribe worth to God. You also do it with your lives. Romans 12.1 says that we're to offer our body as a living sacrifice and that this is our spiritual act of worship, right? And you can also worship God privately, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus talked about getting into that quiet place, that place where just you and God and worshiping, adoring him, ascribing worth to him, and committing your devotion to him. He talks about that. But we also worship him publicly. 
Psalms 22, 22, you can go there later, but Psalms 22, 22 talks about the corporate body coming together and worshiping. And let me just say this to you, corporate worship of God is valuable. That's why the apostle Paul said, do not forsake the assembling together of the body. Now, I'm, I'm not, I, I love words, you know that words matter. When he says do not forsake, what do you think Paul meant? Do not forsake. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, I'm not giving you an out here. I'm just saying that you are not to forsake the corporate gathering together. Because when you do, you miss something. You miss something you can't get privately. So we can worship in a lot of different ways. And we can talk about so many things as it revolves around worship. And I just want you to hear me say this this morning. Over the next two weeks, this is not an exhaustive series on worship. The reason we've just made this a short vignette is because there are a couple of things I want us to talk about, but worship should be a conversation we're always having about what is it, how do we do it, how do we participate in it, all those kinds of things. So today and next week, we're going to be talking about two key truths about worship. Next week, we're going to talk about something that you probably have not heard before, and we're going to dive into some stuff that you've never thought about before, and I want you to be here because we're going to talk about how worship is all about participation at some level. That worship is about participation, and we need to know that, all right? Now, am I going to ask you to jump chairs next week? I'm not, but I'm saying that worship requires participation. Are you with me on that? But today, I want to talk about this, that worship at its focus is all about being in the presence of God, right? Now, I know some of you are really smart, and here's what you're thinking. Okay, Doug, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you've told me before that when I accept Jesus as my Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes, and he lives inside of me, and he's with me. Is that still right, that the presence of God is in me and with me? Yes, that is 100% right. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in a deliberate and intentional moment in your life where you carve out time, whether it's in your private place or in a public place, where you go to adore him, and you go to commit your devotion to him, and you go to ascribe worth to him. That's what I'm talking about. That's what it means that the heart of worship is really being in the presence of God. In fact, when you go to scripture, what you find out is that scripture points to the seriousness of being in the presence of God. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to turn to a book that you probably don't read much. It's the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. If you don't know where it's at, turn to the middle of your Bible. You're probably going to find Psalms. Go to the right, you'll find Proverbs. And just past Proverbs, you're going to find the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them there. We're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. Now let me give you a little background on the book of Ecclesiastes. Just kind of get, set the framework here. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by David's son, Solomon. Right? And when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, like if you're looking for a pick-me-up book of the Bible to read, Ecclesiastes is not your book. It is not the book. I mean, because when you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon is struggling. Solomon is frustrated. And the whole, the whole overtone of the book is that without God, life is meaningless and life is vain. So if you're looking for a pick-me-up in the morning, Ecclesiastes is not your book, all right? Go to Proverbs, go to Psalms, something like that. But the book of Ecclesiastes is so important because Solomon drills down on a very powerful truth throughout the whole book, and he does it in different ways. And here's the truth. That without God, if you take God out of the equation, life is meaningless. There is no purpose in life if there is no God. 
And over and over and over again, in different ways, Solomon just keeps drilling down on that truth that life is vain, that there's vanity in wealth, there's vanity in honor, that life is worthless and has no meaning if there is no God. And then we come to chapter 5. And it's like Solomon pauses and says, but wait a minute, wait a minute. But when you enter into the presence of God, there should be a seriousness about you that doesn't match any other level of seriousness you've ever had in your life. Now, why would Solomon do that was the question I've been wrestling with. And I really believe it's because when Solomon looks at the world, he goes, you know what? Hey, listen, world, if you're going to live life in this world, if there is no God, life's going to be about vanity for you. Life is meaningless for you. There is no purpose if there is no God. But here's what Solomon knew. There is a God, right? And with God being present and us, as Melissa said, having a heavenly father who loves us and cares about us, my life is not meaningless. My life has purpose because there is a God. And because there is a God, there should be a seriousness in my worship of that God. Are you with me on that? Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. Because this is kind of where God has been wrestling with me lately. There have been moments in my life, a lot of moments, maybe too many I can count, where I've entered into a corporate presence of God and entered into it with not the seriousness with which it deserved. And consequently, I left those venues in those moments and nothing changed in my life. And you probably have that same story, don't you? You probably can say the same thing about you that I can say about me. And I begin to wonder, why is it? Why is it that we can come into a place like this and hear great music? And, and not, it's, no, forget that. It's not great music. It's words that adore our Savior. That's what we're doing, right? It's not just a catchy tune that we can pat our foot to or clap our hands, and most of us can't clap anyway. It's not that kind of It's that we're adoring our Savior. And there's many of you who come in here. How is it we can come in here and we can leave and nothing in my life has changed? And I think it's because we have not come to the same conclusion that Solomon came to. And that's without God, life is meaningless. Because I think when we come to that conclusion that I desperately need God, I need him in my marriage. I need him in my parenting. I need him in my job. I need him every waking moment of my life. When I understand that the life without God is meaningless and my need for him, then when I enter into his presence, there's a seriousness that matches no other seriousness. Right? That's where Solomon was. And before we jump into verse 1, I just want to say this to you. Before you can really glean, I think, what Solomon wants us to learn today and what God wants us to learn through the words of Solomon, we have to come to the place where we acknowledge that without God, without Jesus, life is meaningless. Without the love of a heavenly father and the redemption that comes through his son, Jesus, there is no purpose in life. None. But if we believe that, that with him, I have purpose. With him, there is meaning. Then what Solomon's about to say to us about entering the presence of God is going to change our lives. Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1, the very first part. Look what he says here. Chapter 5, the very part of verse 1. He says, guard your steps. Guard your steps. Now, what do you think that means to guard your steps? If you're walking through a minefield and I said, guard your steps, what am I saying? Be careful, right? Be careful that every step matters, right? Every step, he says, guard your steps when you go into the house 
of God. Solomon says, listen, if you want the moments that you're in the presence of God to be serious, first of all, you better make preparation to be in his presence. You better make preparation. You better guard those steps. In fact, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Moses had a brother whose name was Aaron. Pretty common name. But Aaron had two sons, which nobody should ever name their kids this. Nadab and Abihu was their names, right? Nadab and Abihu. And they too were priests because that's what Aaron was. And they went into the presence of God, which back in that time, the, the presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant in this sacred place, in this Holy of Holies. And they went into the presence of God and they did something they were not supposed to do. They offered what the Bible says, an unauthorized offering. They did not treat the presence of God with the seriousness that it deserved. And guess what happened to them? They were consumed with fire right there. God took them out. Well, that's not a loving God. Oh, I would say that is a loving God. That's a God who says, you better take my presence seriously because I'm just that big. I'm just that important. I matter just that much that my presence needs to be treated with seriousness. And what Solomon is trying to say is this, is that we do not need to enter the moments where we get into the presence of God casually. We need to be deliberate. We need to be intentional when we enter his presence. So when we sing those songs like we sang a while ago, may they not just be words that roll off our mouth because they're on the screen we're singing, but that may, may that really be what we mean. When we say, you're a good, good father. Listen to me. That's true, like Melissa said, even when all hell's breaking loose in my life, even when all the disease and sickness and cancer and everything's going south, he is still a good, good father. Right? And so when, and when I'm at that place where I'm preparing myself and I'm deliberate, I know that. I know that when I suffer loss and I suffer injury and hurt, that he is still a good, good father. It's more than a song I repeat because on the screen, it's the very truth of my heart. And when I give, I don't give because I have to or because somebody's watching. I give out of the overflow of what God's doing in my life. And when I hear his word, I'm not just hearing it. I'm here because I desperately need to hear from him. I'm deliberate and I'm intentional. And I think really what the heart of what Solomon is getting at is simply this, is that we need to enter the presence of God, making sure our hearts and our minds are prepared. Now, just a real quick question. Don't raise your hand. This is a survey that nobody's going to answer. How many of you were prepared when you walked in today? Just a thought, right? How many of us took time? Good Lord, I know I'm ready to kill all my kids. But I got to lay it down. God, I know my wife and I, we're, we're just not good. We are not good today. God, my job, I don't know what's coming of it. I'm so stressed out. See, that's what we come in with. And I'm just saying, if we're going to experience the presence of God like he wants us to, and we're going to be serious about it, we have got to make preparation to be in his presence. Why? Because he says you're entering the house of God. Now, the house of God is an interesting phrase in the Hebrew. It literally means any place where God has revealed himself. Any place 
where God has revealed himself. Now, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself in the tent of meetings. That was before they had an official building where they would raise this tent up and they would worship God there. Then as they move, they take the tent down, kind of what we do on Sunday mornings, but we could come back to the same place. It was a tent of meetings. It was, it was portable. Also, the tabernacle was a place. The temple was a place that God would reveal himself. But also, when you read the Old Testament, you find stories like Abraham. Remember when Abraham took Isaac up on Mount Moriah? And he was about to offer uh, uh, Isaac as a sacrifice, and God provided a way out. Well, if you read the end of the story, it says, and Abraham said, we're going to call this place the place where the Lord provides. Why? Because at this place, God revealed himself to me. God showed me there's an out for what I was about to do. Right? And so in the Old Testament, there's a place, in the New Testament, there's a place called the temple or the local synagogues, a place where God would reveal himself. Today for us, you know where God reveals himself? The Holiday Inn Ballroom, right? Who would have guessed that one, right? God would have. But the Holiday Inn Ballroom. Or maybe the privateness of your own home. Because remember, you can worship God in private. You can be in his presence in private. Maybe it's your closet at home. Maybe it's your back porch at home. Maybe it's your deck. Maybe it's your kitchen table. Maybe it's your easy chair. Wherever it's at. But I mean, the point is this. God meets us. And his presence is there with us. And it needs to be treated with a level of seriousness. And if we're going to be serious, we have to make preparation. See, this house of God phrase, listen, this house of God phrase, Solomon's not saying that there's a place that's sacred. He's saying it's what's sacred is being in the presence of God. That's what's sacred. Four walls is not what makes sacred. The presence of God is what makes something sacred. And if we're going to enter into his presence with seriousness, we must make preparation. Then he goes on at the very end of verse 1. He says this. He says, guard your steps when you enter the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Now here's, what, here's what Solomon's saying. If you want to treat the presence of God with the seriousness it deserves, you better make preparation. Guard your steps. Make preparation. But also, he says, come into his presence to listen. We need to come into his presence with a heart to listen to God. And I'm not talking about listening to Doug. I'm talking about listening to God. And as I was studying and preparing, a commentator said, how many of our Sunday mornings look like this? So just listen to this. He said, we show up to our houses of worship after a mad dash from home. World War III has just occurred with spouse and children in the car. A few choice words are said under the breath to the guy who just cut us off in traffic. We stroll into the sanctuary and find our seat and we say, nobody took my seat this morning. We start looking around to see who is present. We proof the bulletin for typos. We find the pastor's notes to make grocery lists or to-do lists for the week. And before we know it, the preacher is preaching and we're wondering, why didn't we sing any songs we preferred this morning? And before we know it, the service is over, but our minds were somewhere else and we were not listening. You ever been there? Come on, you ever been there? You know you have. And you walk out going, what was the message about? Right? Listen, here's what Solomon says. Worship is about drawing near to God through listening. And he says, if you don't come to God and have this mindset and have a heart to listen, you're like everybody else. You're going to offer a sacrifice of fools. That phrase in the Hebrew, sacrifice of fools, literally means speak foolishly. Now here's what Solomon's getting at. There are some people who enter the presence of God and do way too little listening and way too much talking what he's saying right now have you ever been that moment where you got people around you and they just won't shut up you're like oh my gosh stop talking 
Right? Come on, we've all had those people around. Well, that is, that, that's basically the sacrifice of fools. He says, listen, I want you to come and draw near to listen. Don't speak foolishly. Don't do more talking than you do listening. In fact, the word listen in the Hebrew has a, a phrase attached to it. It's called a double force phrase, which means that we listen with the intent to obey. That's what he's saying. I want you to enter the presence of God, he says, and draw near to God through listening. But you know what? There are people who don't. There are people who come into the presence of God and they're yakking. You know why we yak when we come in the presence of God? It's because we think we've got life figured out and we're not really sure how much we need God, but we think by showing up somehow God is pleased with us, so we're here and we're still yakking. Right? He says, and when they do that, here's what they don't know. They're doing evil. Now that word evil typically for us means something immoral. That's not what it means in this particular Hebrew passage. It means something that's not right. In other words, you ready? People who come into the presence of God without a heart to listen, who keep yakking, are going to leave here and nothing's going to change and they will have missed being in the presence of God. So don't do that. He says when you come in, when you enter that presence of God, you draw near to God through listening. You listen with an intent to obey. So if we're going to treat the seriousness of the presence of God in worship the way it ought to be treated. We need to prepare our hearts, but we need to come with a heart to listen. And then he says this in verse two and three. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be what? Few. Few. For a dream comes with busyness and a fool's voice with many words. In other words, when you enter the presence of God, Yes, prepare. Yes, be ready to listen. But you know your place. Recognize your place. I remember when I was a kid, we would all go to the farm and eat. And we always knew our place. Because there was a big table for guess who? The adults. And then there was the what? The kids table in the other room. And so if you were the kid like some of us were that tried to, got to the, get to the adults table, obviously they would say, no, you go to the what? You don't belong here. And I'll never forget the day that I got to make the adults table. It was a glorious day, right? But I walked in and I knew my place. He says, listen, when you come into the presence of God, just remember this. He is in heaven and you're on earth. He is infinite. He's immortal. He's amazing. He is eternal. You're not. Just know that. Know your place. Listen, God is not your next door buddy. He's not the big man upstairs. He is the eternal and changeable God. He's the creator of all things. Treat him like he deserves to be treated. Right? That's what Solomon is saying. See, worship is acknowledging who God is. And in light of that, who I am. Did you hear me? Worship is acknowledging who God is, and in light of that, who I am. Probably the best passage, and we've talked about this before. I just want to read it. Isaiah chapter 6, you have to turn there. It says this. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, which was a great friend Isaiah, I saw the Lord, and he was seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. Two would cover his face, and two covered his feet, and two they, he flew, they flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook 
at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe to me. <laughs> Just think about that. That translation. Dude, right? I mean, he's, he's got a glimpse into heaven. And he sees the Lord Jesus on his throne. You're like, well, Jesus hadn't come yet. Well, that's a whole other sermon. Jesus, before he was ever born in the manger, he sees the Lord on his throne, and he sees these angels, and they're covering their feet, and they're covering their eyes, and they're flying around. I mean, it's like he probably like took some acid or something. He's like, what's going on here? I mean, this guy is seen into heaven, and here's his response when he sees the glory of God, when he sees the glory of the Lord. Woe to me, for I am a man with unclean lips. And I live among a people with unclean lips. The point is this, that Isaiah, when he was in the presence of God, acknowledged who God was, but he also understood who he was. That he was a sinner that needed a Savior. And it says the angels took some coals from an altar, which we're going to translate as hot, hot, and took them and it placed them on his lips to cleanse him. And then the famous passage in Isaiah, when God says, well, who will I go and who shall we send for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Right? But his response to the Lord began with him acknowledging who he was, who God was, and who he was in light of that. That's the same thing for us. When we come in the presence of God, we need to acknowledge our place. He is God. I am not. I desperately need him. And then he says this in verse 4 through 6. Look with me. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth not lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at the voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now, here's the point of what Solomon's get at. You're right, just kind of summing up. Mean what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That when you make a vow to the Lord, this is really simple, keep it. Now, I don't know about you, but I know Doug here, and I'm just saying there's moments on Sunday morning that man, I just feel God move, and I feel his presence, and even, even while I'm talking or after I'm done and I'm praying, I mean, I, I make commitments to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, yes, I'm not going to do this. Yes, Lord, I'm going to put this aside. Yes, Lord, I'm going to pursue you in this way. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I forgot about the commitment I made two weeks ago. And I've gone back to the same nonsense I was doing two weeks ago. Anybody else resonate with that? It's because we're not letting our vows be a vow that we pay back to God. And his point is this. When you make a commitment to the Lord, keep it. Because listen, because this is a crazy thing. When we prepare our hearts in the presence of God, and we come really ready to listen to him, and we make much of who he is and understand our place, he will change our hearts. His word will penetrate us. We will hear something on that day that we needed to hear from God, and we have to be ready to respond to it and mean what we say. Here's my biggest pet peeve of modern-day Christians, and this includes Doug as well. We are committed to everything and are loyal to nothing. Think about that. We commit to everything, and we're loyal to absolutely nothing. Here's what Solomon's saying. You commit to the Lord and you be loyal to your commitment. You make him supreme in your commitment and you keep your commitments. And then there's one more thing Solomon says here as we close. Look at it with me in verse seven. 
He says, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. But God is the one you must what? Fear. Fear. Now, in this passage here, basically, here's what he's saying. Yes, we need to prepare ourselves. Yes, we need to come ready to listen. Yes, we need to know our place. And yes, we need to mean what we say. But we need to make sure we leave here fearing God. Now, he uses a couple words there. He says dreams and words. Now, the word dreams just literally means those people who feel like they've seen what the future holds. That's what it means. And the word words literally means that the, the man's opinions are man's ideas. Now, here's his point. There are times when you enter the presence of God that you let what the world has to say and what the world has to think impact what you think and what you feel and what you should do. And here's Solomon's conclusion. All of that is vanity. All of that is worthlessness. Don't let the ideologies of man influence you. Don't let the world say, listen, I have, <laughs> I have been watching this eclipse conversation for about two weeks now. I'm not that enthralled with it. I'm not, I may just look out the window and go, oh, it's dark outside right now. I mean, I, I'm just not there. And I've even watched Christian writers. Like, I mean, I respect, and she's amazing, Anne Graham Lotz, who's Billy Graham's uh, daughter, right? That's his daughter, yeah. And uh, I may respect her. But even she's crying out going, this might be the judgment of God. And I'm thinking, listen to me. I'm not going to pay attention to what the world's saying. I'm not going to pay attention to what the world thinks. I'm going to fear God. Fear does not mean to be scared of. Fear means to be in awe of, to revere, to respect, and to trust. Listen, if the world ends tomorrow, praise the Lord, I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm just going to trust God with that. Right? That's what we're talking about. When we enter into the presence of God, let's make sure we don't leave his presence without acknowledging that God above all else I'm going to ignore the ideologies of man. I'm going to ignore what the world thinks is going to be happening down the pike. God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm in awe of you. God, I revere and respect you. Now, if we're going to treat the seriousness of God when we come into his presence, these are the five things we have to do. And I can tell you, through the course of my life and the course of my ministry, there have been times I, I left in a moment a public corporate time of worship, and, and, and nothing moved in me. Nothing changed in me. And you say, well, Doug, was it because you weren't prepared? Maybe. Or you say, well, Doug, maybe was, did you come because you weren't really ready to listen to God? Maybe. Doug, did you come because you thought more of yourself than you did of God, and you didn't recognize that he's sovereign and you're not? Maybe. Did you come and make shallow commitments? Probably. Did you come and did you leave with the fear of God or were you listening to man? Possibly. I've had those moments. But what I'm saying to us this morning is this, is that if we want the presence of God to be rich for us, I've also experienced moments where I came in and I was prepared. My heart and my mind was ready. I came to listen because I needed to hear from God and to block out the noise of the world. I came because I want to adore a God who reigns and realized that I need him. And I came because I knew that something had to change in my life. And I came knowing that when I left this place, despite what the world says, despite what you says, there's a God that I trust and that I'm going to serve and I'm going to follow. And when I left in those moments, my life wasn't the same again. Here's my point. Why doesn't that happen every week for us? Because we've not done the things that Solomon talked about. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to have a moment this morning to experience the presence of God. Well, Doug, is God with us? Yeah, we're two or three gathered in my name. He's in our midst. Yes. And we're saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. You know, we handshook God when he showed up today. Yeah, he's here. 
I'm talking about getting lost in his presence this morning. I'm talking about in a moment, and we're going to do it through the vehicle of singing. Singing is not worship. It's all part of worship. Okay, we said that earlier. And we're going to use the vehicle of singing in just a minute. But I want you to find some moments and you just say, Lord, as I sing these words, as they come out of my mouth, help me listen to the truth of what I'm saying. God, help me as I sing, acknowledge that you are unchangeable, that you're eternal, that you're infinite. And I'm not, and I desperately need you. And God, as I sing, may I also declare my commitment to you this morning. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. But before you do that, we need to prepare our hearts and our minds. We need to be ready. So whatever junk you brought into the room, I'm going to ask you to put it aside. Whatever has been distracting you, even in the last 25, 30 minutes, would you just put it aside? And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Right now, everybody stand. And I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer time. And I pray that you would just get lost in the presence of God this morning. Father God, I know we all come into this space, into this place with just junk, things we're thinking about. For students, maybe it's the dread of school tomorrow and anticipating what's coming. For those that have jobs, maybe it's just the stress of what's going on and uncertainty about their role or their position. Maybe it's a tension in a marital situation. Maybe it's just relationships are going south and we're struggling. God, we come in with a bunch of junk and baggage in our lives. And I just pray today that we would claim what Jesus says, that for all who are weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. That we're to cast our burdens and our cares on him for he cares for us. That we would just let go of those things. And that today we would just thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to enter into your presence. And that God, right now, you would just prepare our hearts. That you would prepare our minds. And then just in a moment as we sing, we would not only let words come out of our mouth, but we let those words penetrate our hearts as we listen to the truth. And that God, we would acknowledge that you are sovereign and you reign and we need you. And then as we leave here today in this place, that we would make a fresh and a new commitment. Not a casual commitment. Not one we're just going to let fall, drop to the side. But one that we're going to keep for the rest of our lives. A commitment to live for you. Maybe it's a commitment to serve you. Maybe it's a commitment to lay down some sin in our lives. Will we make a vow to you, Lord, today? May we make a real vow. So God, may your spirit just overwhelm us right now. May you move, and if we need to kneel and pray, may we kneel and pray. If we want to come, Lord, to the front and pray at the stage and call it an altar, may we do that. If we just want to sit in our seat and ponder the greatness of who we serve, may we do that. God, may you just overwhelm us today, and may we just get lost in your presence. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. The more I seek you, you